like, you know, you have any siblings or, you know, what's your job? And like, yeah. these are like, these for me, those are two very heavy questions. Right. For someone else, they're probably normal. Yeah, I have two brothers and a sister. I work at Kroger. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. That's sick. <laughs> you know what I mean? But for me, it's, it's not that easy. to another episode of Jackson Talks Everybody with me, your host, Jackson Stone. Um, we're at Everybody's Land. You guys know the setup. And I'm here with a really special, exciting guest. Um, this is Becky. Hello. So, uh, quick backstory on Becky and I before we kind of get into some the nitty-gritty deets of this conversation. Um, Becky and I uh, are around the same age, right? 28. 28. Yeah, when were you born? April 1st. 1992? Yeah. Cool, yeah, so we're the same age. She's April, I'm June. But we kind of grew up together in some of the same similar Jewish circles. Um, we were pretty close in uh, in high school. We were part of this Jewish organization called USY. What's that stand for? United Synagogue Youth. Okay, yeah. so that's what it stands for. She was actually probably closer to my sister than you were to me, probably, I would say. Yeah. Probably. But my sister kind of just, like, dragged me to these, like, Jewish things because she wanted me to be more Jewish and more part of the community. Yeah, but um, you loved them. Yeah, something I, I something I probably didn't appreciate while it was happening, but definitely appreciate it now. Uh, I think that goes with, like, a lot of things in my life. But anyways, um, and so the last time I saw Becky was in 2010, right? Probably. I think you, you saw my sister a few times between uh, then and, you know, before she passed. But, um, so that's cool. Um, but then you you moved around a lot. We'll talk about it. You live in Israel currently. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you reached out to me, like, what, like two weeks ago? Yeah. Saying, yo, Aaron. I think, no, I think you used my last name. Yeah, you <laughs> said, hey, yo, Machvitz, which is awesome. I rarely get called that anymore, which is cool. Mm-hmm. I like being called that. Anyways, and you're like, yo, I'll be in town for a few weeks. You want to hang out? And then we did. You came over last week. Mm-hmm. And we had this, like, really... Yeah, it was a really nice conversation. Like, I feel like nice is, like, a really... Um, it doesn't it doesn't capture the whole conversation. Yeah. But we caught up. A lot of things were said. And then, basically, at the end of the conversation, I was like, can you say all of those same things <laughs> on my podcast? Because I feel like a lot of people will really enjoy that. And, and uh, my audience, I think, will enjoy that. Yeah. Because I don't know if you've watched any of these episodes of Jackson Talks, everybody. Bits and pieces here and there. Um, but yeah. most of it is about, like, mental health, you know, like, being on a journey of self-discovery, yeah. uh, self-awareness, self-love, a little bit of wrestling mixed in, a little bit of sports mixed in, but mostly that. Because um, I feel like I'm just talking about exactly what I'm going through, so maybe someone else can resonate with those kinds of words. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've spoken a lot. You haven't really said much. Right. Um, but if you have watched any of this, we I start this this show off in a very distinct way uh, by asking a certain question. Um, I think it's the most powerful and impactful question, but rarely used in the way it should be used. Oh. So I'm going to ask you a question. Okay. I hope you answer it honestly, uh, and you can go into as much detail, as little detail as you want. Um, but how are you doing, like for real? Hmm. You can think about it for a second. Yeah. 
How am I doing for real? Mm-hmm. I'm doing so great. Yeah? I feel a little like, I'm on a podcast, what do I do? <laughs> so this is your first podcast? Yeah. Yeah. But you said to be myself. Yeah, totally. Authentic. So real. I think I'll just make myself comfortable. I actually have on Hanukkah socks. Oh, let's see them. Because it's Hanukkah. We haven't got there yet. Yeah, we haven't gotten there yet, but... but you I'm still haven't answered my question, comfy. really. You're right. This is just a... The reveal, make, though. Making myself comfy interlude. Yeah. We got Hanukkah socks. Very similar, actually, to the socks that I wear under my wrestling boots when I wrestle. Hanukkah socks? Yeah, I wear, like, some nice athletic socks, and then I wear some, like, Jewish socks on top. Really? Yeah. Always? Always. That's hilarious. For every single match that I've had. That's really funny. Yeah. I feel like it keeps me... I don't know. It keeps me safe. Connected. Yeah, or something. I don't know. I'm, I've only had two, like, serious injuries, so I feel like it's worked. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. And like probably 500 matches, you know, oh something like that. Yeah. yeah, what a cool thing to do. Um, no, I'm doing really great, actually, like for real. Yeah? Yeah. Why so good? Because I've been able to spend the last two weeks with my family. Like got some really, really good quality family time with my little sister who's living here at home and my jima, my grandmother. Yeah. And my mom and my stepdad and my father and my stepmom. So... I live far away. I live in Jerusalem, so it's like I don't take it for granted being able to see them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it had been over a year, and I had meant to come home during the summer, but then COVID kind of messed everything up. Uh, and then it just—I don't know. I realized, like, mother, I was like, I need to go there. I just need to be with them. I, I'm gonna do my classes and my work from Zoom, and it'll be a little weird because it'll be late at night, but it'll be worth it, and it has been. It's been worth it. So my heart feels full. That's so nice, especially yeah. on the holidays, on the first night of Hanukkah. Yeah. <clears throat> What's that mean to be able for you to be able to spend time with them during a holiday like this? It's not like super ho- like holy holiday for Jews. No, it's a very holy holiday. Is is it? Yeah. All right, tell for us sure. more. For sure. Uh, tell you more about Hanukkah. Hmm. Um. Well, so it's not it's not one of the holidays that's like in the Torah, right? It happened later on when uh, we were kind of under Grecian rule and the Greeks were oppressing the Jews and, and the temple, the second temple was destroyed. Are you familiar with this story? Okay. <laughs> um, and the miracle of Hanukkah and like, why do we yeah, invite yeah, yeah. these yeah, lights to Hanukkah? Yeah, I know because, that for sure. Right, in the temple, uh, the temple was destroyed and they wanted to rebuild the temple. Maybe it was the first temple, sorry about that. The Hasmonean, I don't know exactly. The temple was destroyed and... and and they found enough oil that was like the pure kind of oil that they would have needed to really light the menorah in the, in the temple. Um, they found enough oil for only one night, but the miracle was that it lasted for eight nights. So um, to this day, we light these candles on Hanukkah and we light all the way up to eight nights to remember that a miracle happened and to kind of remind ourselves that miracles happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and also kindle some light during the darkest part of the year, which is right now. And, and it's, it's part, part of Hanukkah also is about making that public. So actually you're meant to put your Hanukkah or your menorah in the window um, so that everyone can see. So it's kind of like, like sharing your light with the world, mm-hmm. I think, can be a theme of Hanukkah. And also really being like, just telling it more like it is around... The miracle of life, like that miracles are possible, you know, and um, that a miracle happened and the miracles are happening and will happen. And um, 
Yeah, there's themes around rededication because they were kind of rededicating the temple with that light and themes of justice and kind of sticking up for what is right in the world and and then it says in the Talmud that uh, what should you do on Hanukkah is you should, you should not like fast or do anything that would be too difficult but really have a lot of praise and thanksgiving so it's a time of celebration and gratitude. So what a perfect, I mean, I know Hanukkah happens every year around the same time, but this year is way different than any other year. Mm -hmm. So how do you think, like, yeah, I just feel like now it's even more important to know that there's like miracles still happening, even though a lot of bad stuff's happening in the world. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that there's always light in the darkness, no matter what, you know? Totally. Every morning, the sun still shines, right? No matter what happens. Yeah, it's a miracle. I think that's an important reminder, yeah. you know? Yeah. So there's Hanukkah. So cheers to night number one. I am. Here we go. Happy Hanukkah. This is water. Uh, yeah, so is mine. <laughs> no, mine's not. Uh, anyways, um, yeah. And so, yeah, so what's it like living in Israel? To be honest, it seems like a, I mean, I've only been there, I was there for 10 days, but like, you know, seems wild, super, super cool. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Is it? Yeah, totally. I mean, uh, Israel is a deeply complex place. Mm-hmm. It's deeply, deeply, deeply complex. I feel very grateful for the opportunity and the privilege to live there so easily. Uh, it's not true for a lot of people that live there and that call that place their home. Um, and and it's, it's really like, I would say politically and in terms of the conflict going on in Israel and Israel-Palestine, it really is a big mess. And I kind of like to think of it as like, it's like a sacred mess. <laughs> it's like, uh, there's so much, especially in Jerusalem, there's so much intensity, uh, like spiritual intensity um, and just deep like passion that people have for that land um, that goes back so many generations and um, yeah I, I feel like it's a really important place on the planet that little teeny tiny piece of land um, for me I grew up like you I grew up here in Plano Texas and I as a kid I, I, I thought about how um, Plano like other than the original peoples that lived on this land like a long time ago, Plano itself is pretty new. You mm-hmm. know, there's not really a lot of history here. I mean, as far as history in Texas, we have like the Alamo, sure. right? In San Antonio. Um, but everything's like, like the buildings and infrastructures and, you know, it's all quite modern. Um, Israel's like the opposite of that. It's, it's just so, so, so ancient. Right. And, um, yeah, it just feels like such a gift to be able to live in a place that's so ancient and so rich with history and complexity and beauty and um, it's just so many things. It's so, there's a lot of multiplicity, I think, in my feelings about living in Israel and living in Jerusalem. Ultimately, it's gratitude, especially right now. Yeah. Um, and, I, and, I, and I can really appreciate the complexity. How long have you been living there? I've been living there for over a year. Has it changed you? 
living in Israel? Yeah. Is there like definitive things that you living can... Living in Israel has changed me, um, but I have changed a lot over the last year and a half. Definitely. Yeah? Yeah. On a personal journey or something happened or what what caused the change or what can you see about yourself that's changed? I think both. Um, the year before I went to Israel, by the way, I haven't, I don't like necessarily live there permanently. I, I, I went for a fellowship mm-hmm. um, and ended up staying uh, for another year. But the year before I went, I would say it was a pretty life-changing year. I had a lot of death in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I lost a cousin really tragically um, to dr- a drug overdose and I lost my grandfather to cancer who I was very, very, very close with and I lost my housemate uh, unexpectedly to a bike accident. So I, and I, uh, I think all that was starting to change me mm-hmm. and, and I was also just feeling like I was reaching kind of the end of a chapter in my life and ready for something, like ready for a shift and also ready to make some maybe deeper decisions or kind of refine my sense of my path. And I wasn't yet sure what direction that would be. Um, But there's this really amazing place in Jerusalem called the Pardes Institute. And it's a pluralistic uh, institute of Jewish learning. So all different kind of Jews from across the secular to religious spectrum come there from really around the world, predominantly from America, to study Jewish texts and explore Judaism. And there was a fellowship that I was really attracted to, which was an arts fellowship. So I went initially um, intending to be there for a year and learn and like make art about what I was learning and kind of in a deeper way also really just think about like what direction I was <clears throat> going in my life. So. Then where did it land yeah. you? Well, last year was nuts. Yeah. <laughs> it was cra- I mean, with COVID and everything, it's right. just been a wild year. Uh, where it landed me... I started doing some work with parties that I uh, that I'm doing now that started back in the spring that I am really excited about and really really into, uh, which is work combining mindfulness and social emotional learning and conflict resolution or skills for constructive conflict, and I'm helping to write curriculum for high schools in North America for Jewish high schools. Um, so that was a reason to stay and to continue learning there. And I also made the decision to um, go to rabbinical school. Yeah. Which was a big one. Mm -hmm. Some people don't (laughs) know what that means. I'm going to school to become a rabbi, which is like a Jewish spiritual teacher, leader, Mm -hmm. learned person, community leader. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot. Yeah. So do you think, because I think about about death a lot. So we're going to touch on a few things that you said. I think about death a lot, not in like a really morbid way, mm-hmm. but in a way that like, that's the only in life. If you look at the spectrum of someone's life, death is the only thing that's guaranteed. It's true. Right. Taxes. True. If you choose to pay <laughs> death taxes. Life, right. <laughs> but <clears throat> yeah. So when you are born, the only thing that's guaranteed is that you're going to die. You don't know when though. Some people only get to live three years, which is like fucking sad as hell, right? Yeah. Some 30, some 70, some 15, right? You don't know. Yeah. You know, but that, but, but that perspective isn't a gain until something in your life is truly lost. Like you don't think about that. Right. All you think about is that hopefully I don't die. Like I have so much that I want to do, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's changed me dramatically mm-hmm. in terms of like, I'm not going to do anything that I don't feel 100% committed to or 100% passionate about or that makes me a little more fulfilled or 
engages me a little bit harder or I learn something from it. Cause why, what's it, what's it fucking for? You know what I mean? And so I don't know if you have that same perspective or what your thought is on it, but I always like, like, like pain and sadness is the only reason that I ever have changed. I would have been the same person I was as a college person making rude comments, you know, saying stupid shit to women or just like being a douche bro. But overall, just like being a, you know, but overall being a nice person, yeah. but like not really though, yeah. you know, not really caring about anything that was like important or impactful. I thought it was. Yeah. But then something happens and you're like, Ooh, what do I do? Like what's, what's really valuable. So the message I try to preach, not preach, that's the wrong word, but like convey yeah. is that don't wait for that moment to start doing the things that you value. Right. Like look inside yourself and be like, what is truly important to me and why is it important? Yeah. And so I hope that no one has to go through like a super tragic event, you know, but really but also that kind of tragic event, not to the scale of me or you or whatever, it's not really a scale of pain. We shouldn't really scale pain. Yeah. But it's also like something inevitably shitty is gonna happen to you. Like, I'm, like it's just what it is, right? It's almost, it just is what it is. So like, I don't know, like, I don't really have a point here, but I'm, what I'm saying is that we shouldn't wait for that moment. We don't have to. You know, but pain is also the biggest motivator for change it can be and it uh i think it often is like often people hit rock bottom before making a change and i i don't think it's necessary and i think it's probably a much more pleasant enjoyable ride if it doesn't need to be if mm -hmm. we can start to notice that change is needed before it becomes too painful right um actually while you were talking i I don't know if this might be a little too out there for this podcast, but some I'm actually Absolutely learning not. a little bit of Kabbalah, which is Jewish mysticism. Mm -hmm. That sort of reminds me of this. Should I go there? Sure. All right, I'm going to go there. Let's dive in. <laughs> I'll try to make it really simple. Okay. Um, basically, in Jewish mysticism, uh, in, in this, the school of Jewish mysticism that is Kabbalah, there's this really big idea of raising sparks. There's this idea that everything in creation includes a spark of the divine. And part of our work of repairing the world, which is another really big value within the Jewish tradition, it's like, it's considered really a central part of our purpose as human beings is to repair the world, um, has to do with this idea that the world is kind of full of these fallen sparks that have these uh, or these fallen shards and sparks that are like sparks of div divinity and sparks of divine wholeness. And so part of what we need to do is like find these sparks within ourselves, within the world and help uplift them, like elevate them and raise them and kind of raise them uh, to, to, to see how they're actually whole, to kind of redeem them, you know, to take that challenge or that wound or whatever it really is and, and find the gift inside of it and raise it up. And um, I was recently learning with my teacher, whose name is Sarah Yehibit Schneider. She's an incredible teacher of Kabbalah and Hasidut who lives in the old city in Jerusalem. That um, there are basically two ways that that could happen. Like basically you have sparks inside of you and they're going to get raised, mm -hmm. but they're either going to get raised because something's going to happen to you that's going to force you to yeah. grow, or you can start to notice that there's some sparks in you that are like, wanting to evolve and raise and yeah. you can 
facilitate that raising and that's really the much more that's what we that's the path like that's, that's what, what we, we want, want to be cultivating within ourselves yeah but it has to do with we have to be able to listen but how do you to do actually that? Yeah. you have to be able to sense into what within you is trying and wanting to grow so that life doesn't have to you know hit you with a truck to make it happen right it doesn't have to jolt you in that direction right it doesn't have to i mean but it's not that simple like sometimes there's some things in, in this system that i'm talking about um, there is an idea that there are some things that are going to happen that are going to jolt you that are going to be hard. So it's not to say that like if you do enough inner work, then bad things aren't going to happen to right. you. That's not it at all. I know, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but there is work that we can do to um, start to really tune into like what inside of us really is wanting to grow and to, to help help that to happen. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I think that's where people are leading. You know from what I see on social and what I read and stuff and the conversations that I have with people, that like people are leading in that direction. Mm-hmm. I think because of what's happening in the world today, right? Collective grief, right. collective trauma, yeah. collective pain is pushing us in that direction to start developing like these toolkits to, you know, look inside ourselves and be more aware and mindful and conscious. So when really bad stuff or crisis happens or this happens, we're more capable of dig ourselves out of that hole quicker, faster, yeah. and, and more um, resiliently, if that's a word. I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, that's all right. We make it up. It's fine. Fits for the fu- fits for the phrase. Um, but yeah, so that's totally true, you know? And so yeah. for me, it was one thing, right? For you, I think you've kind of been on a spiritual journey for a while. You've always been very religious and like in tune. I don't know if those things go hand in hand, but for you, they do. They're starting to more and more. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't... Now that I'm a rabbi and I've really embraced the rabbi path, which I didn't for a really long time, but, right. but now that I finally have, I'm, I'm starting to embrace more this idea of being religious. I still kind of cringe a little bit at the word because I think it comes with a lot of preconceptions and associations sure. and assumptions. Um and so I'm always interested in what people even mean when they use that word. Like, what do you even, what does that word even mean to you? What does God even mean to you? You know, what are we actually talking about? Um, but for sure, always identified as a very deeply spiritual person. Mm-hmm. Although I kind of feel like everything is spiritual. So that word I also find a little problematic because it kind of creates this idea that some things are spiritual and some things aren't. So in a way, I'm really just talking about life. <laughs> like, like, what is life? What's really going on? You know, what's kind of the more essential aspect of what's going on. Um, yeah. <laughs> so religious and in tune. Yeah, I mean, I've always, I've always been quite a spiritual person. Mm-hmm. Always resonated with Judaism to a certain extent. I mean, when we met in USY, I think I was like, I was like uh, the little rabbi person in the youth group. There, there was you like the sure were. VP. We had these. We had this board of like yeah. teenagers. Yeah. <laughs> and I was the relat, or like I was the person who was leading services and song service, or whatever. So I got, looking back now, I'm like, oh duh, I was always a, like this was always this in is the your works. Path? Yeah. yeah. It took me a really long time to realize that. Sure. Yeah. But maybe for for good reason. Oh, you did a bunch of other stuff and yeah. that led you to where you're supposed to be. Yeah. I think right. So. So that's always, people always say that too, like, you know, things happen for a reason, you're on the same, you're on the path you meant to be on, you know, for the most part, it's true, right? But sometimes people say it in like, in the wrong, 
In the wrong moment. In the wrong moment. And also, it doesn't always feel that way, but then hopefully at a certain point we can look back and see how all those pieces kind of fit together. Right. And I think right now I'm in a moment of being able to look back and see, oh yeah, this is so right. Even the other night I was, I was with my mom at dinner and she, got, she took out this book of um, quotes, funny things we said as kids that she wrote down. That's amazing. And they're hilarious, but she was reading the stuff that I said when I was like two, three, four, five, six years old. And I was talking so much about God. <laughs> Even as a little kid, I was like asking all these questions about God. So I guess it's something that I was always um, connected to and fascinated by. It's that little spark that's trying to come out the whole time. Yeah, I think so. That's super cool. Yeah. I feel like I burped like eight times though. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, all good. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, yeah. How do you, th- that's another question. How do you think people like find their purpose or their, or their path? Cause that's hard. Such an important question. Like it's really hard because everyone always like, everyone always says like, there's so many cliche things that are said on social media that are not made for like the, the real person. Right. Right. But I think what that is, it's like an invitation for you to like make it specific to your life. They're just like general yeah. things. Um, but anyways, oh, people always say, if, like, if you want to be happy or fulfilled, you got to find your purpose. Yeah. But that's hard if you're like, it can be. if you have a lot of things going on, if you right. have kids, you have to su- support them. You have a family. Like, yeah. how am I supposed to just drop this and go on a 47 day trip to the woods and like find myself? Right. Like, I wish you could. That'd be amazing. You probably would. And you'd come back happier and you'd have this whole thing drawn out and you'd figure it out. Right. Right. But what are you gonna, like? What? How are you supposed to do that if you have other yeah. things going on that really need your attention? Yeah. Totally. And so, yeah. But I, I read this one thing where it's like, you know, you do your job during the week, but on the weekends you find two new things to do on every weekend for a month. Hmm. So basically, it gives you eight new things that you're doing. Like go to a cooking class, attend this seminar, watch this thing. Mm-hmm. So you're doing eight new things throughout the month. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the month, right, you're still doing all your other duties as a human and as a father, mother, whatever the case may be. Um, but at the end of the month, then you're like, okay, what did I like? What do I want to learn more about? What should I dive in deeper to? I think that was really cool because that's like a practical way yeah. of like trying to figure out like what maybe your path should be or could be. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think? Maybe I spoke too much. <laughs> I gave you no words to say. <laughs> Well, that sounds like a good way to go if, if you're someone with a really busy life. Yeah. So that's a different kind of predicament than if you're 18, right? Or 21. Oh, yeah. And you're sure. like, what do I major in? Or now I've graduated, what do I do? Like, I have the whole world before me. Yeah. Which wasn't true, right? For generations before us. It's like this. It's a good problem to have, but yeah. it can also be really, it can cause a lot of anguish. Yeah, it's daunting. To be able yeah. to choose anything you want, but right. not know what that anything could Especially be. Especially if you're someone with a lot of interests, I think. Yeah. That's something I've struggled with for sure. Yeah. I think you just have to, I think you have to invest in experience, really. You know, I don't know the answer to this question, I, and I imagine it's different for everyone, mm-hmm. but a few things come to mind. One is something that my amazing high school English teacher said. Ooh. Uh, Miss Baloo from Yavna Academy of Dallas. Yavna Academy of Dallas, Yavna. shout out. If you she want to sponsor said, this podcast, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're still going strong. Um, she said, 
the place where what you love to do and what the world really needs, the place where those things intersect, that's where your calling is. Ooh. Yeah. Right? Because both are important. Very much so. You gotta like really do something good for the world. Let's just be honest. That's important. Let's just say it how it is. It's important to help the world. Yeah, yeah. Right? You gotta be a service. And yeah. you gotta enjoy it. Like you yeah. gotta be happy. Otherwise, it's a high road to burnout, I think. Yeah, which is a huge, yeah. huge thing in yeah. this kind of, of of helping people. Right. You know, because Absolutely. it turns into codependency, which is like my whole being of who I am is dependent on whether the people I serve are doing good or not. That can happen. And that's a lot, especially in the mental health field, you know, with therapists and uh, people working with like people with severe trauma and issues. Like if my patient is not getting better, what am I supposed to do? Right. You know, and that's hard because how are you, how are you not supposed to take your work home with you? It's really hard, especially when, yeah, when you're in a helping profession, you know, because obviously all you want to do is help and care. Right. But you also have to help and care for yourself as well. So it's right. like, I don't think, I don't know. I haven't met, I don't know if anyone's figured out the work-life balance situation, but like to a T where it's like always good all the time. I'm sure yeah. there's some ups and, down, ups and downs to it all, but yeah. yeah. I feel like I know people who seem, uh, you know, at least to some extent balanced in their lives with with meaningful work that also provides enough livelihood that they don't have to have too much stress Mm -hmm. and they can also enjoy their lives and I don't know anyone who has a perfect um I know yeah I don't know it's hard especially these days especially with COVID it's just hard I think most of us are really stretched in, in different ways yeah um yeah I forgot there was something else I wanted to say about that It'll come back to me. It's important. <laughs> it will. It will. That's good, though. See, you're doing great so far. Uh, that was my first podcast. So. Crushing it. <laughs> I tend to get a little wordy and rambly, but it's. I just get like... Um, no, it's all good. I feel like I get pretty passionate yeah. about like this subject and when like, people yeah, yeah. people come on that are like the same or like feel the same way or like want to talk about the same things. For sure. It's very exciting. Uh, I remember what I want to say. Oh, see, see? Well, I really went through this in a really impactful way, kind of learning this lesson the hard way. Like we were talking about learning lessons the hard way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, I've always been very devoted to being of service. Yeah. Like I've just always... I have a big heart and I've always felt a lot of compassion for others and like always knew that I, that I really wanted to help the world. And, um, at a certain point, some years ago when I was living in California, I was uh, teaching mindfulness in underserved schools Mm -hmm. in like East Oakland and Richmond, California, which are really, um, low income neighborhoods. And those schools have a lot of trauma and they're very underserved like they're under resourced a lot of them oh, yeah. and um and there's a lot of trauma in the system those you know the schools that i was working in were really in a lot of ways like kind of epitomize the heart of some some really deep systemic injustice that happens in terms of like the kids in, in the education systems the kids from more marginalized communities um and and just how under resourced those those places are on every level the kids the staff just all of it and um, and I was working there, and I also had another job that where I was teaching, 
Um, and I started to get so burnt out and I started to get so burnt out that it was ma actually making me sick, mm. like physically sick yeah. in different ways. And, um, and I started to realize like that, that kind of experiencing all that physical difficulty pushed me to really look at like why I was doing what I was doing. And I realized that I had some kind of like unconscious program kind of operating in my mind. You know, we talk about like, I'm a mindfulness teacher. We talk about conditioning and like, becoming aware of our conditioning and looking at our conditioning, I started to realize that there was this like program running about like how if I'm going to help the world, then I need to be like a social justice warrior and just like devote myself almost like a martyr. Like I just got to give it all. And mm -hmm. I realized like, whoa, <laughs> like what about me? You know, mm -hmm. what about Rebecca? What about Becky? Like I need to, to care for myself because we really only have to give what we have inside of us. Um, so there's really a balance to find there that I think is really, really important. And um, I feel that balance a lot more right now in my life. Yeah. Which feels great. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I don't take that for granted. Um, yeah. 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 We can't be, uh, <clears throat> we can't be anything to anyone else if we are nothing to ourselves first, right? Yeah, I mean, we, I think we give what we have inside of us. Um, so it starts here. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, there's a, there's a Jewish concept about that too. It's called being an Ohev Shalom, like a lover of peace. That's someone that loves peace, that has peace within themselves. And if you're an Ohev Shalom, then you can be a Rodef Shalom, which is a pursuer of peace. So someone that could create peace among other people and in the community. Yeah, but there is this idea that that's important to me that really feels true to me, which is that change in the world really starts inside. Oh, yeah. It doesn't start outside, whether we're looking at some kind of big issue in society or other people in our lives. If we want that to change and we're just focused on that changing, but we're not looking at what's happening in here. Um, I don't think it's going to be so effective. Generally. Yeah. 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 It's always an inward journey, it seems like. Seems like that's always the answer. At least in the beginning. Yeah. Because that kind of, it's like a mirror. It's gotta be the jump start, you know, yeah. I think, yeah. at least. Um, so you talked about mindfulness. When did, you get, when did you get into that? When did you start teaching that? So I got into mindfulness when I was 18 years old, kind of on accident. Mm -hmm. um, I was a freshman in college and I got an invitation to go to this Jewish spirituality retreat and the school was giving us money for it. So it was basically free mm -hmm. over winter break. And I was like, yeah, I'm not doing anything else over winter break. I'm Jewish. I'm spiritual. Why not? So I signed up for it. Yeah. And it was really good timing because I had a really difficult experience at home that yeah. winter break. Um, I wonder if my brother would mind me sharing his story on <laughs> probably wouldn't care my brother my brother had some issues with substances uh when he was younger like when he was a teenager and um he he was kind of struggling with that over winter break when he was home but and but like and i was kind of i'm an empath and i was just kind of getting sucked into um his uh, sort of consciousness that he was in that was that had to do with drug use um and it just messed with me, like in a really, 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 really deep way. My brother and I, by the way, we were like best friends, mm -hmm. we were super, super, super close. Yeah. And he's doing amazingly now, and he has been for 
a decade now. Yeah. So this was this was a decade ago, um, <laughs> which is wild. But I was like, I was just in a dark hole. Yeah, I, I felt like so lost and full of doubt, and it was it was just a really 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 hard time. And I happened to be signed up on this retreat, so I went to this retreat, and it turned out to be a Jewish silent meditation retreat. So which you didn't know. We didn't talk for a week. So you yeah, didn't know that. I didn't know. <laughs> but it was uh, it was like a homecoming for me. Yeah. It was so deep. I knew. I just knew that 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 was my path. I was like, this is my. This is going to be a huge part of my life, and it was like. Yeah, it was just coming home to a deep part of myself. And the the two teachers on that retreat were Rabbi James Jacobson Mizell, who runs an organization called Or Halev in Israel, who I now work for that organization actually, and I've and I've taught for that organization. Um, and then yeah, El Shai, who's another really amazing meditation teacher. But um, yeah, it was ten years ago, and it wasn't just mindfulness. It wasn't just meditation. It also um, propelled me on a whole journey of of embodiment practice as well I ended up becoming a yoga teacher and getting really into like five of them's dance dance practices and just going on a really deep healing journey around my relationship to my body um, and understanding even what it what it even means actually to really be embodied and to have a much deeper relationship to your body than I than I had had at that point or than I'd seen around me as a kid yeah our bodies are amazing Mm, yeah, they are. They're wonder. Oh my God. They're incredible. Yeah. 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 So intelligent. They're just, they're doing so much all the time. Miraculous. Like, I don't know. It's a Hanukkah miracle. It is. Yeah. It is a miracle. It is. It's an everyday miracle. Every moment miracle. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, bodies are wonderful. Anyways, um, so something unexpected pop into your life at the exact right time. Exactly. Mm. And uh, I started going on retreats then after that point and, and also building up to a daily practice. But I, I went probably on one or two retreats a year. I was so into it. I knew. I just knew that I was on a teaching path. I was like, I'm going to be teaching this. And I just knew. I just knew. <laughs> so I started doing also Buddhist retreats, um, spent some time in India, yeah. also Jewish retreats. and. It's funny, the whole purpose question, I guess about three or four years ago, maybe, yeah, three or four years ago out in California, I was unemployed and I was applying to all these jobs that I like didn't even really want <laughs> and I wasn't getting them. <laughs> and, Makes sense. And finally I just got real with myself and I was like, what do I actually want to do? Like, what do I actually want to do with my hours in my day? Mm -hmm. And I was like, I want to teach mindfulness in low income schools. And I didn't know anyone was doing that or that that was a thing that you could do and be paid for. Right. But shortly after that, like really, maybe within a month or so, I found out about this organization, Mindful Life Project, that I started working for. And that became my like pretty full-time job for the next three years. Um, so I started teaching in the schools, which was incredibly meaningful. With what age group? Pre-K to eighth grade. Okay. Yeah. How... Okay, keep going and I'll ask my question. Yeah, yeah, I started teaching the schools and then started teaching on retreats to adults a few years ago. And um, we've been doing this women's retreat and doing it again in the spring and I did it in the fall with these two amazing teachers. Um, and now I'm 
at Paradise, we're developing this mindfulness-based social-emotional learning curriculum for Jewish schools in, in around constructive conflict, which is also really perfect for me because um, it's also been kind of a theme in my life. <laughs> Not conflict necessarily, but how to talk to people who are different than you. Yeah. 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 That's yes. huge yes. right now. Yeah, it's huge. We need that. Yeah. We need that. We need more conversations. Yeah, we need skills. Like people actually just don't know how to do it. Right. We don't learn it in school. We should. We don't. That's yeah, why. Well, that's why we're doing this curriculum. We don't learn a lot of stuff in school. <laughs> we don't that, learn a lot of stuff. That we need it in real life situ- yeah. uh, scenarios and situations. Yeah. But yeah, we can talk about that later. But um, yeah. Yeah. So, for me, teaching mindfulness to young children seems like a very incredibly difficult task it's so fun how do you how do you reach them like are they receptive oh yeah they love it do they oh yeah that's super i mean cool. they love the teachers if you're a good teacher and they love you they'll kind of love whatever you put in front of them <laughs> sure we have to present it in a way that's not like no they love it it can be so fun yeah games and stories and you can just make it so alive yeah which is actually great it's a great way to then teach mindfulness to adults <laughs> because it's the same practice but just more playful and more simple which i think is good mm. for adults sometimes yeah do you think it's do you think it's harder to teach young kids mindfulness or adults who may be stuck in their ways mindfulness Adults. Yeah. It's pretty easy to teach kids mindfulness. Yeah. Mm. They really get it. Yeah. They get, they understand what it means to be present and to listen to yourself. And They do. Kids really are present. present. They're very present. They're very present. That's a, that's I mean, a, we need to kind of safeguard and protect it because there's a lot out there trying to distract them and tell them that something's wrong with them and that they're not enough and right. put the screens in front of their noses. Yeah. I, I felt like that was a big part of my job actually when I was teaching was just kind of like... I kind of thought of myself as like an emissary from the adult world being like, you're perfect just the way you are. You know, you are so enough. Like you're amazing. There's a quiet place inside you that you can always find no matter what is going on around you. You can always find that. It's so easy. Yeah. You know, I wish I had you as a teacher. (laughs) I've been awesome. Um, so what would you say to someone right now? in their current situation as an adult who has seen the word mindfulness pop up a thousand times on social media now and is like, what the fuck does this mean? Like, why do I need this? Mm-hmm. What would you say to them? What is mindfulness? Why do I need this? Like they've seen it. Like every mental health expert is like, COVID-19 is gonna get you. You're gonna feel yeah. more anxious. You're feeling more depressed. Things are overwhelming. Things are unsure. Yeah. You just gotta, Try to be more mindful. Right. Which is true. Yeah. But what does that mean for the regular person who doesn't know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the definition that I often like to use for mindfulness so is... Um, what's that? So oh, yeah, I see. yeah, right. The dog, the hair. Yeah. <laughs> the definition that I like to use uh, usually... I hope, I hope so. The watches this episode. Anyways, go ahead. <laughs> There's some nice dog hair on the couch from a special dog that was here. Yes. Um, so the definition that I like to use yeah. is a definition that is from 
John Kabat-Zinn, who's the creator of mindfulness-based stress reduction, mm-hmm. um, which is a form of practicing mindfulness that became really popular in hospitals and a lot of different secular settings. Uh, and his definition is that mindfulness is paying attention on purpose to what's happening in the present moment without judgment. Paying attention on purpose to the present moment without judgment. without judgment. That's right. That's what it is. That's what That's it is. So with the kids, incredible. you can do hand motions, right? Like paying attention to what's right here, right now. Oh, here's my watch. Without judgment or with kindness. That's one way to teach kids. <laughs> mm. Yeah. And why is it important? Uh, it's so important. <laughs> it's I really, I think it's like kind of uh, social emotional intelligence and also heal, really any kind of deep integrated healing ABCs um, it's just it just feels foundational to all of it and one of the reasons is that we tend to create a lot of suffering for ourselves mm-hmm. that's actually unnecessary mm-hmm. and mindfulness helps us to understand how and when and why we're doing that so that we can stop doing that mm-hmm. and suffer less in our lives and be more present to our lives and to reality when we start to practice mindfulness and notice all the ways that our minds are wanting to constantly kind of do anything other than pay attention to the present moment without judgment uh, we start to get to know our minds really well and we see all these patterns in our minds and how we tend to create stories and kind of overlays and filters on reality. And so then when we react or respond to reality, we're not actually responding to reality, we're, we're responding to what we think is happening or what we think about what is happening rather than what is actually happening. So mindfulness with practice can actually help us to see reality, like to perceive reality with more clarity mm-hmm. and respond to what is happening in reality rather than react. Um, we often are kind of at the mercy <laughs> or just kind of slaves to our habituated emotional reactions to things that happen. Yeah. And mindfulness can help us kind of start to have some distance from that so that we can actually regain our choice to respond. So in a lot of ways, it's actually about power. It's about making choices and responding to life from that place of empowered choice making. Uh, it's a choice like 10 times, but, yeah. but it's no, huge. Yeah. <laughs> it's really important. Like... Are we actually making choices and responding in our lives or are we just stuck in cycles of habituated response reactions and um, yeah doing the same old thing again and again and again right yeah. right and then missing out on the beauty or the potency or just the reality of what's actually happening and kind of misunderstanding a lot yeah or just like I don't know I think another plug for the present moment is like the present moment is where we can be together, yeah. where we can actually connect and share. Yeah. If we're both stuck in our heads or on our phones or not to whatever, I also like my phone, but but in the past or in the future, whatever it is, we're actually missing out on connecting with each other uh, when we're all off in our own little world. So that's a little bit about why mindfulness is important. Yeah, I'm sure you can go on. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, it's like it. Yeah, I mean, sometimes we we want to choose. We'd rather choose to be a little bit unhappy 
for the sake of not getting uncomfortable with ourselves and our thoughts. Right. You know? Which is, so that's, that's an interesting point. And there's something there. Um, I think today more than ever, it's really important to have a trauma-informed perspective on pretty much everything, <laughs> but, but including mindfulness. So we don't want to be mindful in such a way that like really being present with what's happening is going to push us over our threshold or take us out of our capacity for what we can really take in. It's not useful at that point. If it's overwhelming us, if it's, if it's actually some kind of trauma um, that's really just pushing us out of our comfort zone, that's not the goal. Right. So um, there, there has to be some discernment. And sometimes it might be true that actually what's happening in the present moment isn't necessarily a good idea to really be present for and focus on. Um, you know, but yeah, it takes some, some discernment to know to know what that is because we can also kind of trick ourselves into, we can, you know, um, we can convince ourselves maybe that, that we don't, that, that whatever's going on is something that we don't want to be present for. But, but I think ultimately, eventually, we do need to be present with our lives. It's just that the way to get there in certain moments and for different people might look a little different. Um, there's no rush <laughs> right. to heal. There's no rush to self-actualize. It's, I think it's important to let there be some space and gentleness around the whole process. But to start to orient towards being present, I think there are like more gentle ways to be present also. Um, Any time that we're paying attention to our senses, we're being present. We're in the present moment. Our bodies are always in the present moment. The body is like immediate gateway to mindful presence. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, one of the, one of my favorite ways of teaching mindfulness to children is we call it starfish breath or roller coaster breath. So your hand kind of looks like a roller coaster or a starfish and you just trace your finger and breathe in and out as you're going up and down. And it's the tactile, how tactile it is. You can actually feel your finger on your hand. You can even try it right now. It's like so calming to just pay attention to that physical sensation, right? Like that's bringing us into presence. That's kind of bringing us out of our minds. And especially when you um, do it with the breath, that's going to regulate our nervous systems Mm -hmm. and just bring everything into balance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it's a great question. Like why do, why do we want to avoid the present moment? (laughs) It's like our minds will do anything to avoid the present moment. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Brilliant. So then on top of the mindfulness, you got into yoga heavily. Not about heavily. But enough to enough, yeah. To make it part of your life. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a huge part of my life. Yeah. Yeah. And how do you think those things are connected? Mindfulness and yoga? Yeah. Or the mind and the body. Mind and body. Movement and mental state, you yeah. know? Yeah. Because we, we tend to separate the two. Yeah. Like, I'm going to go to the gym and work on my physical body. Mm-hmm. For me, that's more of a mental thing mm-hmm. than it is a physical thing. Like, I like the gym. Right. You know? I've been working out since I was a junior in high school. Yeah. Right? And it's increased my confidence. It's made me look better. You know, it's made me feel better. But if I don't go, 
I don't really worry about what my body looks like at that point. I feel like I'm like this like fog. Yeah. Like I didn't have a sense of clarity because I didn't go to the gym. Right. So it's more that for me than anything right. else. Right. It actually helps with your mental clarity. It clears me out, your you body. Know? Yeah. Right. And so it's all one. It's all interconnected. Absolutely. And I think yoga is one that really emphasizes that. Absolutely. Because you have the gym bros, right? Who go to the gym. So, you know, I was, I like that. Like, I, I'm not, I have no shame against that. Like, I enjoy going to the gym and, like, working out with my bros and whatever, doing some yeah, pump, yeah. flexing in front of the mirror, yeah. whatever, right? But there's a deeper meaning to it, right? Which yeah. most people don't understand. But when you do yoga, they're the, the usually the teacher who's teaching is, like, talking about these things as you go. Mm-hmm. Like, put your body in the present moment. Have gratitude for where you are. Yeah. Be mindful of the space. Breathe in and out. What's your body feel like? Yeah. You know, all these things. Yeah. I'm not doing that when I'm doing bicep curls. You really should. Yeah. Because the idea is that if I'm doing bicep curls and I'm only thinking about my bicep. Yeah. And the only thought process is that I want my bicep to grow. It's probably going to grow. Yeah. Right. So maybe we should do that. We should implement those practices. Yeah. Uh, but I'm sure some like, yeah, I'm yeah. sure I'm sure high level bodybuilders do that and have already, yeah. you know, mastered that. That's why they look the way they look. But yeah, anyways. Mind body connection. Oh yeah. my God. It's everything. It's so big. Um, or whatever, you don't have to answer any specific question. <laughs> just, you know, say what talk, you do. Just say stuff. Yeah. Talk. That's what I do. <laughs> nice. Just go with the flow. Go with the flow. Flow. Yeah. Um, also, I was about to take off my sweatshirt, but I didn't realize that I'm a shirt underneath, so we're just going to keep rolling. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I mean, feel comfortable. This is your home, so no, no fine with me. This is your podcast. No one wants to see that, okay. even though this, okay. I guess most of them see it all the time when I wrestle, but anyways. This is different. This is kind of a different shtick, though. This is yeah. like a different part of the... Different part of the... Uh, right, right, right. Yeah, the brand. Right. Yeah. With my Crocs. Right, the Crocs are a good touch. Yeah. Still got the Hanukkah socks, so sister has matching ones. Your sister does? Yeah, my mom. Tight. Yeah. Love to see it. You can check out my Instagram for a photo of that. Don't worry. We'll, we'll plug you. We'll <laughs> plug you. Um, so when I started practicing mindfulness, one great thing about a meditation retreat is that it really slows you down. Yeah. And you become a lot more sensitive to and aware of what's always going on in your whole system, body, mind, heart, all of it you slow down enough that you can actually start to see like what's happening. And so you start to notice and uh, in, in just a much more clear way, that connection between something that's going on physically and then how that impacts your thinking and how that impacts your emotions and how all those things, the, the, the emotions and the thoughts and your body are, are totally in a system with each other. They're not separate at all. So, and I would even say also like the soul, mm-hmm. the spiritual dimension of our beings as well as, is part of that system. Not just, I would say like, that's, that's a thing. That's a thing. Yeah, <laughs> that's a big a thing. thing. It's definitely, a fact. Definitely. Yeah. Um, just not necessarily as easy to talk about in certain contexts. The soul. Um, yeah. I mean, I think people are generally more open to talking about, people are definitely open to talking about the mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're definitely open to talking about the body, not necessarily open to talking about them together. They're a little less open to talking about the heart and then the soul is like, yeah it's all one truly mm-hmm. more than we are aware of for sure yeah, in, a, in a very profound way um so i started to realize that they're all one that mm-hmm. like my body and my mind and my emotions were connected in the system and started to notice how when 
I took care of myself physically, uh, it had such a huge impact on how I felt emotionally and, and the kinds of thoughts that I was thinking. You start to notice that like when I'm thinking negative thoughts, it's not random. Generally when I'm thinking negative thoughts, it's like actually something unpleasant physically is usually happening and it's literally generating negative thoughts which are then making me feel bad. So it's really helpful to just become aware of that process. Like, oh, I don't have to take my thoughts so seriously. Mm. Actually, my stomach hurts because I just like ate too many Lockheeds. <laughs> so now I'm like thinking about all these like worst case scenarios of things that could go wrong in my life. And now I feel like shit. It's like, no, <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know what I mean? um, so... Yeah, I mean that's one level I think of the mind, mind, body, heart, spirit connection. Um, I would say another really important thing is that our body. There's this idea of somatic intelligence and emotional intelligence, which are connected. But this idea of somatic intelligence being that our bodies, our soma, is deeply intelligent, and it's communicating to us. We receive our intuition. I'm a big believer in intuition. My intuition has led me on some wildly amazing adventures. Yeah. <laughs> um, our intuition is kind of seated in the body. It's a physical feeling. And when we can start to listen to the cues that our body is giving us and start to kind of respect the language that the body's speaking in, so much opens up for us in the realm of just like information that can help guide us in our lives. Um, yeah, so just a plug for the, the intelligence of the body. And if we could learn to respect our bodies and be in relationship to our bodies, I think there's a paradigm that I think I kind of grew up within just because of the dominant culture that's more of an objectifying relationship. Like my body is something that I'm in control of and I just want it to be under my control and look how I want it to look and work for me. But if we can shift from that kind of objectifying relationship into more of like a respectful, uh, subjective relationship with the body, that is a relationship of gratitude and appreciation. And I'm not eating healthy food and working out because of because I want to dominate my body and um, make it submissive, but because I actually genuinely care for its well-being. Mm-hmm. Um, that's going to transform everything. Um, and so... I mean, for me personally, my, my relationship to my body has been probably the biggest journey I've really been on in my life and the most painful, actually, um, just in terms of body image stuff and relationship to food and things that I think are way beyond me, societal things that just got deeply imprinted in me, maybe ancestral things. You know, I, I mean, I, and there are certain things that I also know caused it, but um, it's, uh, it's very humbling. It's very humbling. You know, I don't think it's easy or simple. I think a lot of people have have that. Um, And I know that for me, what is ultimately healing, like really the only thing that's ever been healing has been learning how to love myself so fucking much. (laughs) Like to love my body so much and to orient towards like what feels good, Mm -hmm. like what actually genuinely feels physically pleasurable and enjoyable, not in a hedonistic way, but in like a deep, sustainable um, like a, a deep sense of kind of well-being and vitality way not like what feels good I'm going to go eat a bunch of donuts because it feels good that's not what I'm talking about 
you know, but like a deeper sense of well-being and um, just sitting inside of like inhabiting the body. I can feel when I'm like in my head. It's like there's a lot of energy up here and whatever, and then kind of a, like like oh yeah, I'm inside of the body. I can breathe. You know, I can just bring my awareness to my whole body. Like my whole way of relating to the world changes when I'm really actually inside of my body. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, keep going. I can listen to you talk some more. <laughs> I mean, I think it's huge. Um, I think in academic institutions and educational institutions in general, there's a huge lack of this kind of awareness and a lot of focus on the intellect and prioritizing intellectual intelligence. And the problem with that is intellectual intelligence can only take us so far. Mm-hmm. Um, because ultimately like morality and ethics and things that actually guide our purpose in our lives are not in the intellect necessarily. That stuff comes from the heart, (laughs) which is the body. Like emotions are in the body. Um, and that's intelligence that we need to guide us in our lives. So that's something that as an educator, I care about a lot and I feel very passionate about, which is why I taught mindfulness in schools and why I'm working on this social emotional learning curriculum and stuff. Kind of, I think there's a little mission inside or a big mission inside. It's like big trying to explain this, trying to help, especially people in educational institutions understand the value of the intelligence of our whole being, not mm-hmm. just the mind. Um, well, not just reading and memory. Not just intellect. Yeah, like that's what schools are teaching. Right. Yeah. And and like I wasn't. Yeah. Like I wasn't trying to learn anything in school. Mm-hmm. I knew that if I wanted to play baseball, yeah. I had to get this. So I memorized the information and I I filled it out on a test. It was ba- baseball though. That's you wanted to play baseball. Right. But like. But there was there was no like me trying to actually understand the information. Right. So like mine was baseball. Like some other person's reason is for anything. Yeah. Right. Um, but still, like you're like very few of the information that you're presented in school, especially high school, is like I, I don't I don't want to use the word useful because it mm-hmm. seems like a very like small word to describe no, I, the yeah, whole educational system. Yeah. But like. You know, like, um, but so man, but that was my thought process. Like, okay, I just need to get this so I can do this. Right. But that's a lot of the way people think now. If I do this, I can get this, you know? Yeah. But yeah. Which is important also, right? Incentives work. Sure. It's important to have things to look forward to. It's a shame though, when the means to the end are totally meaningless to you. Yeah. <laughs> like that's kind of a lost opportunity. It is. The means to the end could also be really important and rich. Not to knock school. I think every system has its process of evolving and growing. And the truth is it's like, and we need to grow. We need to change. Kids need skills for emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. We all need to learn how to have a mind, how to have a body, how to I mean, I think there's other things I, I would have appreciated learning in school. What about like growing a garden? <laughs> you know, like yeah, maybe cool. instead of learning like super abstract math in high school, I could have learned how to grow vegetables or at least yeah, could understand like, the the importance of plants. Yeah, you know, but I just like and, a more holistic education. I mean, if someone was teaching me that in high school, I wouldn't appreciate it. I'm like fucking stupid to get this fuck out of here. Right, because you were a bro. Right, because I was an idiot. Okay. <laughs> and I didn't appreciate anything except wanting to go play sports. Yeah. Right. Which got you here, though? 
which got me here. So the, the path was cool, right? If, yeah. if I, I would take a class about plants right now. Right. So cool. maybe, maybe it's like... My roommate yeah. bought like a, a record that's like got, a, that got like a plant cover. It's like a book about plants. Yeah. You know, and that looked really cool. I got plants in my house. I've never yeah. had plants before. Some nice plants in your house. You know, but... Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, I don't know. But if we can teach kids younger how to appreciate more of life and there's more to offer than like math, science, history. Yeah. You know? Or just more appreciation for different aspects of life. Yeah. You know, and teaching them how to deal with failure and rejection and heartbreak. Emotions in general. You know, because you're going to get your heart broken. You can't find love without risking heartbreak, right? It's impossible. It's true. You know, you're going to fail at something. You're not going to make a team. You're not going to get a job. Um, You know, any of all these things are going to happen. But no one tells you how to. You know, you just kind of, right. I mean, it's fine to kind of do a trial by error, right? It's, I guess that's fine. But that first major setback could really be a major setback. Yeah. Instead of it just being like a minor, like, pivot. Yeah. Instead of a setback. Right. And so. Yeah, we have to crash so hard. Yeah. Suffer so much. But then on the other hand, like, exploring it yourself is also really fun. Right. You know, so it's like, I don't know, you know, for me, this whole journey has been really enlightening I don't know if fun's the right word but some parts have been fun you know seeing parts of myself that I didn't know were there and like understanding more of myself it's cool there's definitely a beauty to it yeah I think and so I'm way more appreciative of it now than I would have been right. you know 10 years ago when you knew me in high school yeah no I think it's just true that like so there's a lot there's so many different ways yeah. it can go you know it's so cool and I think it's just true that there is hardship in our lives and sometimes tremendous hardship yeah. and for certain people more than others and there's no getting away from that mm-hmm. um, and so the question is like how do we learn to live with that hardship as such a fundamental part of human experience and to not push it away to not deny it to not try to explain it away to not try to make it okay necessarily but how do we be in a relationship yeah. to that? Yeah. I don't know how. Kind of, yeah. You gotta kind of have to lean into it a little bit. Yeah. You know? In time. Like, not right, probably not right away. Yeah. You know? But you gotta lean into it a little bit. Yeah. I mean, going back to what we were saying before, like, you know, you know, people, people always say things happen for a reason. But people always say that right when the tragedy happens. Which isn't really the time to hear Like, it. you just got hit by a car two days ago. Yeah. You know, your car's totaled, your leg's busted, you know. Everyone's fine, right? But it's still... To get smashed by a car, shit's... It's <laughs> a traumatic experience. I'm like, you know, everything happens for a reason, bro. Yeah. What? What are you talking Like, why did you just hit me? I just got smashed by a car. <laughs> <Sorry>. like... <laughs> but, like, so, I mean, also, we need to learn, like, appropriate language for certain yeah. situations and not just, like, relying on on cliches because we always feel like we have to say something in the moment yeah and you don't absolutely not you totally don't in the moment all someone needs is just I'm with you this I'm or I'm here yeah. or this is me I'm sitting next to you we don't have to have any words totally but like our bodies are next to each other in terms of like I'm I'm validating this for you yeah not saying like it's know. gonna be okay yeah. I mean maybe that's you know that might be something you could say yeah but, I mean, yeah, so also we need to learn those kinds of things in terms of, like... like how to communicate yeah. with challenges. Right, yeah. which goes back to what you're saying. Mm-hmm. 
like people don't know how to have the conversations that are difficult because they're never presented with the skill sets. Right, it's not their fault. It's right, we're not like presented we, with there, the skill sets. There are sets. actually skills to learn. Yeah. We're not born knowing how to have difficult conversations. Absolutely not. Yeah. And these are difficult conversations after your best friend just lost his mom. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know what the f- mm-hmm. I have my mom. I don't know what to say to him. Right. So how do we develop those skills? Yeah. yeah how do we develop that empathy? Mm-hmm. You know, that stuff's all super important. Yeah. Because we're going to go through it. Yeah. You know? It's all very interesting, though. Like, it's it's like, it's, it's, it's kind of fun just learning about, like, human emotions and, like, you know, what motivates people or what drives people and what their differences between people. It's, like, yeah. very exciting. Yeah. But also it's kind of daunting and scary at the same time. Well, it's, like, endlessly humbling, I think. Yeah, for start sure. talking about suffering and yeah. hardships in life. It's endlessly humbling. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll never know ultimately what it's like to walk in another person's shoes. Right. And there are, yeah, it's just hard to talk about <laughs> even in a way that feels totally truthful. You know, I could talk about like privilege and oppression and identity and all these things, but even that, it's like thinking about people that are more privileged than me in certain ways, people that are less, people that are more oppressed, less oppressed all these different identities, all of that also is so multi-layered and complex. And Mm -hmm. it's like, ultimately I find myself in a stance of listening, like listening and respect and attention to my own sense of like integrity, I think in any given moment and willingness and openness to learn, to learn more about the human experience and how I can do a good job as a human, like how how I can be of service Mm -hmm. in a way that's really like, you know, that makes sense. Because as I shared before, like that used to mean to me being some kind of warrior. And, it, and now I, I'm really examining that. Mm-hmm. Like, what, what does that really look like? I think it looks different for every individual person. Um, my mom is a middle school art teacher in Allen. And, and she's been teaching art over Zoom during COVID. And I, like, I look at that and like, she's a hero. Like, that's absolutely heroic. Yeah, it is. It <laughs> is. To 12-year-olds. <laughs> And a lot of these 12 year olds are at home and like some of them unfortunately their parents lost work and there's just like all kinds of complexity going on and yeah i think it i think it's different for for every person and i think for me what i just try to keep in mind again is like i don't know what it, i just can never actually know another person's experience and respect you know, and then there's this balance between like listening and also knowing when it's time for you to speak mm-hmm. and time for you to act and really have conviction mm-hmm. in like what you're offering. That's important too. Yeah. I mean, you nailed it, right? Willing to learn and unlearn, mm-hmm. listening and having respect. I think so. I mean, if you lead, good, if you lead with that, <laughs> right? If you lead with that, if that's generally your inclination, yeah. like this is what I do mostly. Then you're gonna be. You're gonna. We're all gonna be better off. I I think so. I, no, I'm, I'm a huge. I want to have like a listening revolution. Yeah. I think listening is, is it, <laughs> learning how to listen mm. and actually doing it. It's I think hard. it's like synonymous with love. Yeah. To really listen. I think so. Yeah. This podcast specifically has helped me do that. Really. <clears throat> yeah, because when I record an episode, I generally watch it back. One, I'm afraid. This is very open and honest. I'm afraid that something that I said will get me canceled on the internet. Oh, wow. Because I have a deep insecurity about that. So you don't want to take your shirt off? 
no, my shirt won't get me canceled, but just like people want are looking to do that. Yeah. Like there's a mob mentality of people cancel looking culture. to cancel culture yeah. people. And especially people who portray themselves to be good people. Yeah. Like, and I find myself posting a lot of stuff that is genuine and authentic to me. I believe it is. Mm-hmm. But it's a lot of mental health stuff. It's a lot of optimism. It's a lot of seeing the world yeah. with like a lighter view. Yeah. And people don't, people get skeptical of that kind of person. Right. You know? <clears throat> and so I understand that because a lot of people who say they're good people generally are doing bad things behind your back. Right. Right. But there's got to be a sense of belief that there are still good people doing good things. Yeah. There has to be. Hell yeah. There has to be. Or the world isn't is Oh my god, we need it so badly. And so and so yeah, so um yeah, I have it uh so I watched my episodes back because I have a deep insecurity about if I said something sort of incorrect that could be misconstrued in some way that might be offensive to this person because I don't want I don't want that. Mm -hmm. You know, but I'm also trying to be very open and honest. And if Mm -hmm. I make a mistake, I I feel like that should be okay because I'm not sure I don't my, my goal is not to be right in every turn. I don't fucking think I'm right about anything. These yeah. are just my perspectives of like a experience that I've had. Yeah, yeah. And uh, if I'm not right, tell me and then I'll try to get, I'll try to make it correct or right or improve it, right? Yeah. But still have a deep insecurity about being canceled. So I watch it back for that regard. Mm-hmm. And I also watch it back because I, I also listen and watch a lot of other podcasts and I notice a lot of hosts don't let their guests finish their thought before they're trying to say their next point. Mm-hmm. And it really bothers me mm-hmm. because I'm like, well, they had something else they're about to say, but you chimed in in the middle of it. And then like they didn't finish their point. And then you went on another tangent. And I, I was doing that too a lot. Yeah. And I was like, well, I should stop doing that. Right. So I'm really trying to fully engage by listening, letting that person finish and then having like a little pause. Yeah. So I know that they're finished and then thinking about again, what I want to respond with and then saying it. Mm-hmm. So it's helped me because it's just like watching back like athletes all the time will watch back their games. Mm-hmm. What did I do right? What did I do wrong? How can I tweak this? How can I make this better? So this is my game. Mm-hmm. This is my sport now. Oh. This podcast. <laughs> I do the same thing with my wrestling matches, right? Yeah. And so now I'm just trying to improve that. So yeah. it's helped me in that regard also. Yeah. To listen to people when they talk. Because you have this thing where you like will close your eyes when you're thinking. Yeah. And like so now I know that because we had a previous conversation in real life where oh, I saw yeah. you doing that. Oh, yeah. And so coming in today, I knew you were probably going to do that again. Yeah. And so I like that because I know. It's nice. I love the practice of pausing. I didn't just do it. <laughs> but of like pausing after somebody speaks. I think that's a really good practice. I actually, I resonate with you. I, I've, I've had a habit in my life of just getting really excited about what I want to share and kind right. of interrupting someone. And it's like cute to a certain point. And it's like, yeah, there's a balance. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when I'm closing my eyes, I think what I'm doing is I'm I'm listening in for like what I really want to say because I can respond with something I've like said a million times before that's more of a habit of response or there might actually be something new emerging in the moment. And sometimes when I just pause more and closing my eyes helps me do that, it creates like a little more space for something fresh and real to actually come through. That's less of just a habit of response. That makes mm-hmm. sense. It makes total sense. Yeah. Has anyone said anything to you about that in like a, like a passing conversation? Once I was teaching on a meditation retreat and I was having a meeting with someone, like a one-on-one meeting. And they were like, by the way, 
I noticed that like you and the two other teachers, you, you, you all close your eyes before you like answer questions to Is that like a thing? <laughs> like, why do you do that? It's like, that is weird. It's a mindfulness <laughs> Maybe thing. Maybe it is a mindfulness thing. I don't know. I don't know when I started doing that. Um, I think it, I think probably it ha- has had to do with the, like my practice um, evolving over the years, just because there is more attention to wanting to really speak from my heart and say what I mean. And I think closing my eyes, taking that pause, just taking a little more time helps, helps to do that. Mm. Yeah. More authenticity. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. I think it's like, maybe it's more socially acceptable or comfortable to just always not let there be any gaps in a conversation. Right. And to just like be talking, whatever. Um, and I'm much more interested in authenticity than like being comfortable in a conversation. Yeah. Yeah. You know, people are definitely more comfortable when it's just like back and forth. You know, have you ever gone on a first date where it's like there's right. like a bit of silence in between each statement or question or you know? Well, it's funny when you when you're like a meditator and you and you date other like mindfulness people, there could be a lot of extended silence. Sure. Well, then you know kind of at that point someone's thinking about something. That's true. But at some you're, point, you're definitely thinking about stuff, yeah. Yeah, but if you're just on a date with like um, a fucking lawyer, yeah. you know, they're not... I, I, that was a weird... That was a weird thing to say. Like, that. <laughs> I don't know. Any other profession kind of that's not yeah, yeah. Um, that way, the way yeah. that you think and feel, then... They might think an awkward, a pause is awkward. Yeah, I, I definitely don't want to make anyone awkward. That's then, why, I, yeah. yeah, maybe that's why I close my eyes because I don't think it's super awkward. That's not as awkward as like looking at someone for next time. I'm not thinking about closing my eyes when I do it. I guess I just do it sometimes. It's just your natural, your natural <laughs> thinking pattern. Yeah, I guess I so. like it. I don't mind a pause in between, but I also don't, I don't get, I, feel, I don't feel awkward or uncomfortable in conversation. Like if someone wants to speak, they'll speak. Well, you like, like march around in gold undies, so you probably don't feel like too uncomfortable with a lot of things, right? Uh, I mean, you're like an extreme wrestler. I'm like, not extreme. I don't do not extreme. extreme. Not extreme. Just well, how, how you're a pro wrestler. Just a pro wrestler. A pro wrestler. Yeah, but I mean, well, yeah, sure. I feel comfortable in that mode. Yeah. But I only feel comfortable in that setting. Right. Like if I were to wear, like sometimes when I just wear my, like they're called trunks, but trunks. they're basically undies. Undies, trunks. If yeah. I just wear my undies, like when I'm just selling my merchandise, yeah. sometimes I feel very weird. I'm yeah. like, why do I not have pants on right. when people are coming over to talk to me and, and, and buy my merchandise? Right. I should put on some pants. Yeah. But then when I get in the ring and I'm like on the stage and like people are looking at me, I'm like, oh, I feel great. <laughs> You know, yeah. but it's like weird, like so. And one very, they're both in the same venue and from the same people in a very yeah. similar setting. But one feels very off. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't mean to. I hope I didn't mean to sound like um, what's the word? Belittling in, in any way. But oh no, no. I just said that because that's what you said when I reached out to you. Like, I don't know. We were talking on Facebook like a year ago or something. You mentioned gold undies, so that's why I said. That. Oh, okay. You know, I do have gold undies. That's my color. <laughs> no, for sure. No, you're right. I have a lot of confidence in myself. 
Yeah, you know, right. That's what I was trying to say. You seem like someone with a lot of self confidence. Oh yeah, for sure. I've always, I feel like I've always been that way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, probably that's for for the reason why I kind of was like able to just hop into wrestling. Yeah. But. Yeah. So yeah, awkward pauses. I don't find it as awkward. I don't really. It's like someone's thinking, or they're processing, or they're in yeah. a totally different place because they don't want to be here right now, or they're thinking about, or something else is on their mind, or yeah. you know whatever but yeah hmm, yeah like first date that's what I think of that's what I think of because like if you're trying to get to know someone yeah usually you know you ask like the super generic questions off the rip right right like you know where are you from yeah you know what do you do yeah I don't I try to avoid answering that question sometimes where are you from what do you do I'm not where I'm from but what do I do what do you say? I have a hard time answering it now, currently, I think. Yeah. So I just usually say pro wrestler. I actually have a hard time with that, too, in Israel, because if I say I'm in rabbinical school, I, I, I'm always afraid that that is coming along with a whole lot of assumptions about yeah. what that means, especially for Israelis. Mm -hmm. So I often say, like, I teach meditation. Yeah. <laughs> I'm an artist. I am. These are all true, but... Right. I haven't... Yeah, so on the first date, especially, kind of thing. I don't know quite how to... How to bring that in and, and really, um, I don't know. I think there's just some, some fear that is perceived in a certain way. I feel yeah. the exact same way. Yeah. Yeah. So I just say I'm a pro wrestler. It still leads to very interesting conversation, right? Because it's a very interesting job. Yeah. So it's cool. I have a lot to say about it because yeah. I love it. It's awesome. But like, I don't want to say that I run a mental health nonprofit, right? Because really? Yeah, because I want someone to get to know me. Right. Right. I want them to see the person that I'm presenting. This, yeah. You know, uh, and so if I say that I do this, which is like running a mental health nonprofit, it's like a pretty cool thing. Yeah. But it also comes with like, oh, he must be really nice. Right. You know? Yeah. And I don't want that to be like. Yeah. You know, you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. I don't, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to like actually show that as a human that I'm this person and then when I tell them they're not surprised because mm -hmm. like oh yeah fuck, I could figure that you know yeah. what I mean but then the other way it feels it feels different yeah. you know what I mean yeah yeah get to know you as a person without any assumptions based yeah. on like these things right yeah 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 mm -hmm. I was listening to this podcast with the guy who um, who started Tom's, you know, the shoe company. Yeah. And he said before he went on this like retreat and became like this transformed spiritually, he would try to, in every conversation he had with every random person, he would try to force the question about what he does so he could tell people that he owns Tom's just so he could get the recognition and the wow. praise for it. Wow. And now he's the complete opposite. Wow. He like went through this thing called the Hoffman Project, which is like a, it's like a seven day retreat, transformational retreat. Um, it's very expensive, but I'm, I really want to go. Anyways, sounds awesome. I was telling you about it before. Mm -hmm. And so now after that, he realized that it was because of his need for attention. Yeah. Like, I guess he was an only child and his parents like gave him a lot of attention, which yeah. is like amazing. They gave him all the attention he needed, but it created a, his like, intense need for people always like giving him attention and recognition mm -hmm. and now he's on the other side of the spectrum of it where he's like 
yeah, I try to just let people get to know me for me and then not bring up the fact that I do any of these things that yeah. are deemed like nice or cool or good because he doesn't own the company anymore. He sold it, I think. But he, he started another company called Made For. And it's like this mental health toolkit that yeah. comes to your house every month. So he's obviously he's doing even more good shit or cool shit. But so I thought that was cool. So I try to take that with me. But I also wear like a lot of my own merchandise everywhere, like shirt that says you are loved all the yeah. time. It's like how do you avoid that you know, so I don't know. Yeah. But but then again I guess I'm guess I'm spreading the word so more people are knowing about it and then, you know, whatever. So it's all it's like a it's like a two prong, you know? Yeah. I think about it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can't avoid like being who you are in the world. People yeah. are gonna know what you do. I mean I don't wanna avoid talking about it. Yeah. But in like an initial conversation. But also like if you're on a first date with someone who is gonna hear that and then just like have all kinds of judgments and assumptions about you, maybe you don't wanna date that person anyway. Well generally then they ask why I started the company. Right. Uh, yeah. And then I, and then it's not like I don't want to talk about my sister, but I don't necessarily want to talk about it on, on first, first date. date immediately. Because that's a lot for someone to digest when they just met, when they just met me twenty minutes ago. Yeah, definitely. And so that's something that I'm also very, you know, aware of when meeting someone right away. Yeah. I mean, I don't go on a lot of first dates, but you know, when they do happen, this is what comes up. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. You know, because people always ask, like, you know, you have any siblings, or you know, what's your job, and like yeah. these are like. These for me, those are two very heavy questions. Right. For someone else, they're probably normal. Yeah, I have two brothers and a sister. I work at Kroger. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. That's sick. <laughs> you know what I mean? But for me, it's it's not that easy, and yeah. so that's something I'm still trying to navigate. Of like, what do I like? You know. Yeah. So, yeah. I haven't quite figured it out. Yeah. Just meeting new people in general. I keep saying like first date, like, but just meeting new people overall, which I like. I love meeting new people. Yeah. But then on the same on the same regard, like if I can tell someone's energy right away and like if we vibe and if I feel like if I just t tell them the information that they ask, like open and honestly right away, I feel like there's like I feel something about about them that's like that I connect with too right away. Yeah. You know, so that's also a cool feeling, too. So it goes both ways, really. You know? Yeah. Yeah, there you go. There's a little sharing. <laughs> Back to you. Excuse me, I had an inch. Okay, so mindfulness and yoga led you to finally accepting your career path as a rabbi. <laughs> Not quite. <laughs> <laughs> nope. No. Nope. That's that. Wasn't like that. That was it. That's no, it. That's really. basically what you said. <laughs> not really. It's basically. I went on some retreats. I did this, and now I'm a rabbi. I'm a rabbi. I'm not a rabbi yet. No, for real. Um, was there like a final final decision that allowed you, or that made you think like, okay, now I need to do this? Yeah, kind of. I think it always made a ton of sense. Mm-hmm. And, and that clarity kind of had to ripen inside of me. And it like wasn't ripe until it was, the clarity. Yeah. And even when it finally was, it was not easy. Yeah. Uh, I was so ambivalent about the whole application process until the very last minute where the wonderful, What's that word mean, amazing, ambivalent? Ambivalent means like 
Yeah, I guess. Oh, okay. It's not like, yes. Yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah it. sure. That makes sense. Um, That's a good word. I'm gonna use it. I guess, I guess, I guess, okay, so that year that I was talking about before Israel, mm -hmm. where all that death happened, mm -hmm. and, um, and I also started teaching on retreats to adults, like, the same year, I started just having all these experiences where I found myself doing things that rabbis do, which I'd also had in the past, but, yeah. but more, even more explicitly, like, actually helping to, like, lead the shiva, right. which is, like, a, what we do when someone passes away mm -hmm. to, to honor them in the Jewish tradition and things people said to me after that and teaching on the retreats with other rabbis and like it was starting to kind of become clear and then um, I also started to meet a lot of rabbinical students and rabbis who I really saw myself in and I started to realize that I wouldn't have to leave any part of myself behind if I became a rabbi. Mm -hmm. I think I, I'd had a fear that like if I put myself into that box I'm not going to be able to be my full self. I'm not going to be able to be my full artist self. I'm not going to be able to be my full like healer self. I'm not going to be able to love and appreciate so much all these other incredible spiritual paths like Buddhism, you know, Buddhist practice and yoga and have learned a lot from other traditions as well outside of Judaism and just started to see that that wasn't true. Not only was that not true, but that those were actually maybe even more so reasons to join the rabbinate um, because probably there are other people out there, other Jewish people out there who really resonate with these, with myriad spiritual traditions or uh, are trying to understand how it fits into like what it has to do with healing, what it has to do with creative expression. And, and I can speak to those people. Um, so it was starting to become clear in that way and I applied, but I was still feeling really ambivalent about it until literally the last minute, the school that I was accepted to that is an incredible, amazing school organization, Aleph Alliance for Jewish Renewal, emailed me and they were like, why haven't we heard from you? Like, are you registering for classes as a sister or not? What's your deal? So it came down to the wire and I was like, am I doing this or not? And I kind of had a little freak out. And this was only like three or four months ago, actually. Oh. Yeah. Woohoo! Yeah. So I'm saying it's like been a big year. But yeah, yeah. I kind of had like a freak, like a little freak out identity crisis where I was like, oh my God, like, is this what I'm doing? Is this really me? Is this really, am I going to be Rabbi Rebecca? Like, who, ah, <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> I was like crying. I was like, oh! And so when I, your roommate played the piano for oh you? Oh my God. Well, yeah, probably. My Anyways. roommate plays the piano. He's amazing. No, I was in Israel and I called, I was like, I need to talk to someone who's known me my whole life. And I, and I text, and it was like four in the morning in Texas. And I texted my mom, my dad, my grandmother, and my stepdad. And I was like, whoever answers me first, I'm going to talk to them. Yeah. And Avi, my stepfather answered. He was like, Hey, Becky, what's up? <laughs> like, can you talk? <laughs> it's like four in the morning. He was like, sure. And he, and I'm really glad it was him because I think... He's known you your whole life? Well, he's known me since I was maybe like nine. That's pretty good. But I think he knows more about what it means to be a rabbi probably than anyone else in my family because he's, he, he's on the clergy at our synagogue and, and he's not technically a rabbi, but in my eyes, he's basically a rabbi. He mm. knows as much as a rabbi. He mm. does rabbi stuff. He's, he's had this job for, gosh, I don't know, maybe 15 years. I don't know. I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't know how long he's had it, but he's, but he. He's gonna listen to this. So. 
Yeah. <laughs> I think so. Um, he wanted to listen to the one that you made about baseball with David Bodson. Wait, what? You made a podcast. No, maybe it wasn't about baseball, but you had a podcast with Bodson. Yeah, it was about baseball. It was about, he wants to listen to that one. Oh, he should. Yeah. It's a good one. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. So anyway, maybe he'll listen to this one. But anyway, tight, tight, tight. he answered and I, and I explained to him what was going on and, and I, and I felt like I just needed someone to push me over the edge mm. and just say, yes, this is your path. Like do it. <laughs> say yes like make a decision mm -hmm. and that's basically what he did I mean he he was like actually what he said was Becky go read um, The Road Less Traveled by Robert Frost and call me back <laughs> so I did that I read The Road Less Traveled by Robert Frost have you ever read that? Mm -mm. really? it's such a classic Okay, it's a very classic poem about the road. Oh, like, oh. I came to two roads, yeah, yeah, okay, cool. and I, and I yeah, took cool. the one less traveled, and yeah. that has made all the difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I read it. I called him back. I was like, okay, I know. I need to take the one less traveled, which is for me probably the rabbit, because, you know, for whatever reason. And he, and he was like, no, actually, the point there was that he chose. <laughs> He's like, it doesn't necessarily matter what you choose, but, like, choose. You know, make yeah. a choice. And, he, and, and Anne was also like, and yes, like, do this. You'll be great. And... And that was it. And I said yes to the organization. And, and then over the following week, it just happened that like after kind of saying yes in that moment to school, I just had some important conversations, I think, over the following week that really helped me, like helped it settle in even more. And then, this is kind of silly because social media is a little silly, but I, I actually just posted on Facebook and Instagram, I think, like, I'm going to rabbinical school. That's right. And the response from people from every aspect of my life, childhood, teenage years, college, after college, whatever, was so overwhelmingly affirmative and positive. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, you are. Like, fuck yeah, you are. I was just like, it, it had a deep impact on me. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh my God. If literally every kind of person from every chapter of my life saying yes to this like there must be it must be right mm -hmm. <laughs> you know there must be something here for me and um and then i think it was like after that i just started i think after kind of being more public about it and letting go of some of the fear of how people would perceive it mm -hmm. i've just been settling into it more and more and more like yeah yeah i'm gonna be rabbi <laughs> and i'm gonna do it my way you know and now where I'm at right now is just, I mean, there's a lot of things. One is so much gratitude for having just make it, made a choice, mm -hmm. finally. Because it was something that really was hard for me, I think, for many years. Just this kind of not knowing, like, am I going to be a therapist? Am I going to be a rabbi? Am I going to be an artist? Like, what is it that I'm really going to focus on? Um, there's that relief of having just made a choice. There's also, like... The truth is, I'm just I'm just so in love with the Jewish tradition. Um, the more I learn, the more I fall in love with it, and the more grateful I feel to be a part of this ancient lineage that has so much to offer in so many ways. Um, and the more stoked I feel about like all the different things that I could do within the title of rabbi, you know one part of it that I'm really drawn to is the part that has to do with being present with people in those really raw moments of life 
whether that's the really hard ones of like death or the most beautiful ones. I'm, I'm facilitating a Zoom baby naming on Sunday and working with this amazing mother um, on like helping her also choose the Hebrew name for her child and also plan this really special ceremony. It's just been so fun for me and so fulfilling. And I think I find so much meaning in helping people find ways to make life sacred um, and bring their communities together and you know, it's like, so I think so much of it for me is really just making life more beautiful. And I think part of what makes Judaism so beautiful to me is that for one thing, it's like my ancestral tradition. And, uh, and also that it's just so old. Like it's so old. It's so much older than anything else I know. And it, uh, and yet it's also still so current and fresh. And, you know, we just watched that Hanukkah song, boy band, like whatever, like, <laughs> it's still so alive, you know it what I mean? Is, yeah. So alive, mm-hmm. like gorgeously alive and, um, and I love wisdom. I've just, even as a kid, I've just always been really drawn to wisdom. Like what is wisdom? What does it mean to be wise? What does it mean to live life with wisdom? <sighs> yeah. And I, I think there's a lot of wisdom a lot of wisdom in the Jewish tradition in terms of just what it means to be a human being and like how to live life in a good way. That's what it's really about to me ultimately. Yeah. Yeah. Mom, I'm really proud of you. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Oh my God. Really? Yeah, I am. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I am. I think it's cool. really cool. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's cool to hear someone talk about Judaism like that, you know, because normally they don't. Yeah, it was presented in a, a, not in a very fun way when we were growing up. Same for me. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then, yeah. Yeah. So it's nice to hear someone talk about it with like energy and passion. It makes you want to learn more. Oh, my God. There's so much out there. Yes. Yeah. Well, I'm only learning yeah. it from you, so. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Just send me something to read every week. I'll, I'll interview you on my podcast when I have, like, a rabbi podcast. Dude, how cool would that be, though? <laughs> That'd be cool. <laughs> I can't, like, I'm sure there is a rabbi currently doing a podcast because a lot of people have podcasts and they're really yeah. cool, but I can't imagine, like, there's more than, like, five or six yeah. or ten most. Yeah. I think you should do one. Yeah, great. Done. Yeah. <laughs> All you need is a mic and a free Podbeam account, and you can do a podcast. Pretty cool. Yeah, Anyways. these are pretty good mics. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, but no, I am. I'm proud of you. I think it's super cool. Yeah. I'm glad all the stuff that you've done has led you there. That means yeah. something. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see where it goes. I mean, I think something that was a really close runner-up was was being a therapist. Mm-hmm. But that was also really hard because I was always like, no, it's actually all about art and creativity and the creative spirit and creative energy. To me, it's all synonymous, like actually. I was going to say Real healing and real creativity and real spirituality to me are the same. All three jobs. Of the, same energy, yeah. same thing happening yeah. in the system. Um, and I'm really interested in exploring that more actually explicitly, like how 
yeah, just that intersection of healing, spirituality, and, and creativity. Because I really do feel like we are here to express ourselves mm-hmm. and to be in that creative spirit, whatever that looks like for each one of us. But to be fully expressed in our humanity and our individuality, um, like that is devotion and that is what heals also. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm glad also that, it, that I chose this path because... I think when I talk about healing and when I talk about art even, it, it all generally tends to come back to like the great mystery of life and the sense of sacredness and I think being a rabbi gives me a lot of permission <laughs> to talk about that as much as I want. Not that you don't have that in other places, but it's different. You know? It is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very exciting. Yeah. Very exciting. Um, yeah. I think that's it. Cool. Um, <laughs> this has been super lovely. Yeah. I'm very, I'm, I'm very glad that you reached out and we got to hang out a couple times. Yeah, me too. Especially on the first night of Hanukkah. Yeah. I'd say this is a miracle. Yeah. Ten years in the making. Like, totally. that's pretty wild. Totally. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh... Do you have any closing thoughts, closing remarks, wise words for the people as they as they turn this episode off? I mean, it's Hanukkah, so shine your light. The world really needs it, you know? We can all, like, we gotta believe that we have it inside of us and whatever it is, even if it's a little teeny tiny spark, um, keep it alive, tend that flame and, and share it, share ourselves with the world, not be afraid to because we really need, like it's like we need every single person actually mm-hmm. to shine their light. Yeah, mm. that's it. That's it, I'm not saying anymore. That was beautiful and brilliant. Thank you for, for talking with me. Thank you. Um, and uh, thank you guys for watching. As always, super grateful for the community we've created here with this podcast. Um, but do me a favor though, if you really like this episode or any episode that you've ever watched, just like tell a homie, tell him to watch it or listen to it or rate it on Apple podcasts. Um, yeah, cool. Hit subscribe and, uh, share and, uh, I'll talk to you soon. Take good care. Bye.